Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon weekly podcast uh, brought to you in association with our sponsors, Manscaped.com. But more about that on there to follow. So joining me uh, to not, well, possibly talk about manscaping, but also to talk about football, funnily enough, given this is a football podcast, uh, an Arsenal podcast, we'll be talking about some Arsenal news, but also... Well, we'll have to talk about the Euros. Uh, apologies to those England fans who probably want to run away from it. And, uh, well, at least the rest of you can enjoy it. Uh, how are you, Nita Sambal? Hello, hello, Matthew. Yeah, I'm feeling feeling really well. I'll try not to be too smug about the Euros. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, we both know what it's like to lose very narrowly in a final against a team that are the, probably the better footballing nation, but in a very tight game. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I've spent a lot of yesterday and today trying to comfort my fellow English fans and friends and followers, saying how how I got over the the loss three years ago in the World Cup final. It's obvious I didn't still get over it because still, when I think about the the match itself and you know the tactics and everything that's happened, it still pisses me off and think we should have won and all of that. But as I said, the whole you know, feeling that it, it brought to you guys. I saw Paul, for example, from, from Billy Cannon, it's like he was just really excited that he this is the first time in years that he's been excited about England. And I, and I think that that's the case for a lot of uh, England football fans in general. So maybe focus on that and think about that and think about the really pretty good team that uh, you guys have put together and young players this is definitely not their last uh, last chance on a big big trophy they will still be playing together for years to come while for example in my case that was probably the last <laughs> last train for us for this generation of of croatia uh, and the whole excitement that was a bit tarnished in the final in the run up to the final the, to the match and then especially afterwards but that's just you know some uh, some would say a rather loud chunk of English fans that definitely don't represent uh, all of you and I'm so sure of that and I I think a lot of people are but they are still really uh, tough to you know get over yeah yeah I mean obviously we will touch on some Arsenal stuff but uh, we do sort of talk about the euros and and as you say the it's it's always hard if you're a sort of liberal ish uh england football fan as i'm sure it's for people in a lot of other countries in similar situations when because our national flag for us has become something which has been slightly tainted by the touch of right-wing nationalism you know (laughs) and all the lovely things that come with it um yeah definitely know that feeling (laughs) Well, I'm, yeah, I know you do, yeah, yeah. And it's like, mm. how do you how do you make peace with that whilst so you can feel patriotic in some ways and feel like you're, you know, you're very much behind your team without getting caught up in the rest of this. And of course, one of the things that's come up for England and and uh, I, I don't know what the equivalent would be in Croatia, but but is the the unity is is only ever. Uh, a bit of an illusion in that respect, you know. But, um, I mean, this group of players and the coach 
uh, were more likable than has been a case for England in a lot of recent tournaments, you know, uh, politeness and humility and strange things like that. But uh, unfortunately, the uh, both some of the fans and certainly some of those who would like to capitalise on the team doing well, and normally they couldn't give a rat's ass, not mentioning any political names. <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of leave you that slight sick in mouth feeling. Um <laughs> And, and of course, when things do end in disappointment, some of that gets expressed all too clearly, all too quickly. And, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think that maybe lots of uh, football fans remember our then president uh, at the final in, in Moscow, you know, being there cheerful and in the Croatia kit and all that. She wasn't really popular, mm. a bit of, you know, right sided as well. So that was uh, something tough to, you know, as you say, feel uh, to you know like as you said uh, take yourself from from that and still feel the unity with the team and the excitement and all of that it's, it's not really not easy but again not unique for for England definitely yeah. every nation is, is similar I've seen uh, conversations on, on Twitter happening around that and the fact that uh, even before the everything that happened yesterday before and after the match like on on Saturday and during the whole week up to the semi-final discussions about how no matter what happens there are still lots of problems in in England there are you know as we've seen the the racism the immigrant problems uh, the whole politics thing the uh, hungry kids and everything that has been that all, all of us have been following it's the same case for i think every single country that's happened it's just that kind that kind of time we are living in now uh unfortunately and definitely it's nice to have something like that like football it's always in, uh, in croatia it's a few of the team sports that unite the nation and mm. it's always exciting and see like like those few weeks a month or so when everyone is so happy and cheerful and together and just you know focus on supporting the team and discussing football rather than the politics then you have the other side saying oh the whole life has stopped and nothing else matters it's just stupid football and the problems are still there yeah but you have to have something like that that's what i was saying to people in in the kind of like on twitter as well even though you guys lost and it wasn't really nice thing uh, ni nice loss i mean not, there's no nice loss but it was a lot of penalties obviously uh, really tough to take but still uh, try to you know think about what how it made you feel how exciting it was to have a team play in a massive final and just you know life is not easy it's uh, there's a lot of things happening everywhere around us literally every day and we have been through a hell through in last year and a half mm -hmm. with everything that has been happening so just you know let people be excited and enjoy this for a while and be united in support for for the the team and also you make the uh, you sort of allude to a point there which is also really important which is if you listen to the sort of British television, British media, it's like, we deserve this because we've had a terrible year. And it's just like, well, we are playing against Italy and it may haven't exactly had a great time of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they also, I mean, we all remember all those, all, all those images coming up from Italy with the, the big, all the bodies and everything. Mm -hmm. When the pandemic started, it's just, yeah, everyone is... England is not unique. I mean, it's it's might be tough to hear for some uh, 
when you when you read some tweets and everything, it's definitely not unique. There are problems, similar problems everywhere in in the West Western countries. Not to even mention the all the ha that's happening in the Middle East and in Africa and everywhere around. It's just it's nice to have something. I mean, football is meant to be fun time. Yeah, exactly. As there's there's that one Wenger quote that I often remember that he said that uh, his job is to uh, have something for people who work every day, something to look look forward to on weekends and then Wednesdays. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's. I mean, obviously, we all know that it's not always really happy, and uh, it's often nerve-wracking and <laughs> soul-crushing sometimes, but it's still something, you know, take your mind off the everyday struggles, everyday problems. Yeah, and it's still very much, uh, even when it's not great, it's a, it's a distraction from, from yeah. some of the other parts of modern life, which can be quite challenging. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, one positive I'm taking from it is the fact that at least England's defeat means that a slightly less ability for the likes of uh, uh, Boris Johnson and particularly Pretty Patel to try and take some sort of glorified credit or kind of, you know, this is, uh, I mean, Pretty Patel's nerve is something terrible. She's kind of tweeting endlessly about how wonderful it is, you know, the wonderful England team, who she earlier criticised for taking the knee uh, and said yeah. that fans had the right to, to boo that and it was a fine, fine if they did. And a woman who had quite happily deport anyone that wasn't white British by the sound pretty much given even, yeah. half, even though half the team or more are not mm -hmm. um, so I mean you know at least at least one tiny little bubble of hypocrisy isn't able to happen but on a more serious note you know one of the things that you've already mentioned the youth of the England team which is something which is exciting for potentially bringing fans going forward um, but also you know this Italian side you know they were the best team in the tournament if you look at their performances yeah they deserve to win this tournament you know the particular you know, yeah. i mean to, the, the, the longer the tournament went on they started to not play at quite the same level you looked a bit like the old italy <laughs> well particularly after spinazzola got injured and it that really buggered their their tactics um but when you know their best performances were better than any other team's best performances mm -hmm. They, you know, were incredibly, you know, those two guys at the back. Still, <laughs> Chiellini's kind of going to still be there in 10 years' time at this rate, you know. I just I just loved watching him defend. I mean, he, he seemed like that's the best place for him every single match. He, it's the, the best thing that he can be doing. It, he was just really excited and always smiling and always so thrilled to be defending. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I did... I, I did very much enjoy him laughing and joking with a slightly less enthusiastic Jordi Alba before the pen penalties against Spain. Like <laughs> you always get the impression that off, off the pitch that Killing is like a really nice guy. You know, on the yeah. pitch, he's a total kind of uber cynical. You know, will do anything. Uh, as we yeah, saw, and sometimes really, yeah. As we saw in Saturday, <laughs> borderline. Yeah. Um, and of course, as Arsenal fans, we have to be slightly more slightly more uh, warm towards Chiellini because he's a player that has spoken more than once of his regret at not, not a regret as in that it's worse, but a sort of interest or a sort of regret of, you know, what, what if about turning down the chance to go and play for Arsenal before he went to Juventus. <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> things have worked out pretty well for you, man. <laughs> 
or let's not forget the famous line it's the history of tottenham yes exactly exactly <laughs> so you know we, we've, we've got a, we've got a little bit of love for kia in these parts um and yeah. uh and also it, it continues the tradition of uh of a team teams winning major tournaments without their center forwards scoring <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm just I, i couldn't see immobile scoring ever i mean it was just odd the whole whole tournament yeah well i mean he just didn't i mean he didn't really get any chances at all but... no no yesterday uh, after the uh, uh when the second half was beginning i thought that england will go out and score a second goal and just you know end the match because even though italy started looking better even in the first half i just was starting to see how their goal would come because they were they reminded me a bit of croatia uh, over the last few years like they have a good midfield going forward and then last 20 or so meters no ideas <laughs> like yeah. no concrete ideas on how to score or how to you know get the ball to the attacker as you said he didn't have many chances and then it just seems like force forcing it and trying to you know do something without a clear plan but yeah they they scored from a chance that was not as good as some other chances but i still scored them i guess well it was, it was also just sort of quite amusing because it came after I, i think it was the itv commentator sam matterface i think was banging on about how prepared england were and, and they got this special set piece coach and blah 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 mm-hmm. and then lee dix was just like well Yeah, but Italy have got all that as well. <laughs> not long afterwards, Italy scored from a set piece. It was clearly a routine as well. Mm-hmm. Clearly a worked routine. That was far more of a routine than anything England was doing with their set pieces. It was really freaky because it, it reminded me and a lot of people on Twitter for the, the match yesterday with the semi-final against Croatia three years ago. Same date. And then, you know, early goal for, for England yeah and then you know dropping a bit back and the uh, other team taking over and then uh italy scored in 66 or 67 minutes and we scored in 68 yeah. and it was just you know a bit freaky but yeah it went to penalties it's, 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 italy didn't have manjukic exactly you know? i was about to say no, no mariano <laughs> party as, as, the, as the say for another mario not so long ago before he went mad oh completely <laughs> yeah um I, I, it was sort of an interesting game because Southgate's tactics at the start of the match clearly completely confused Italy like there was obviously the incredibly early goal but then even like for the next 10 minutes maybe 15 mm-hmm. minutes Italy were all over the shop then one of okay. the Italian players genuinely got a knock and went down and then and Man- and then Mancini fixed it <laughs> and then after that England With the, for the rest of the time England played in the same formation they got nothing really you know they had a few breaks but down to individual play uh, yeah. you know maybe Sterling picking up the ball and trying to beat five players or, or you know um, and so and the Italians like they just shut down shut down Harry Kane because Harry Kane in the first 15 minutes was was looking like Dennis Bergkamp you know and then after that he barely got a touch uh, yeah especially in the second half yeah I, I just forgot just, he was playing Yeah, it just became long balls up to him, um, and 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 that's what sort of I suppose is, you know, that's, I don't think anyone can argue that Southgate for the whole has done a good job in this tournament. But against Scotland, he got it wrong. 
not that it mattered. And in this game, he got it right, but didn't do the thing that great coaches do, which is when the game changes, you know how to change it. And of yeah. course, bringing it back to Arsenal, that isn't that sort of the story of certainly a lot of the, the first first half, first two thirds of last season with Arteta. <laughs> anyway, got a plan. You can see what the plan is. It makes a certain sense. But when it stops working, you don't change it quick enough until, until something bad happens. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, you, you were not an England fan in the evening, but you know, I'm sure even you were probably thinking from an England perspective at the time, why are you not changing this? Like, literally, mm-hmm. it's okay, you give it the second half, but then after 50 minutes of the second half, and you're just like getting penned back and bent back and nothing's happening, you've got to change it. And mm-hmm. you didn't until after they scored. And then suddenly, and you have so much talent on the, on the bench as well. And as soon as he changed it, the game became much more even. England started getting half chances or chances again. Um, and, and without wishing to criticise him, but Mason Mount being a fixture in the team for this tournament has been a mistake for me, I think, because, I, th- I mean, he's a, he's a very good player. He's a very tactically intelligent player as well. But he's just not been at his best level in the tournament, you know, and that's that, that happens. Um, yeah. And... You know, last night was a game where that showed because ultimately he was being played in a more attacking position. And it was, I think, either the first or the second time he'd been played in this sort of attacking midfield, like winger position, sort of, or, or as a set, or as a like one or two wide number 10s. And both times it hasn't really worked. Um, mm. And uh, and it's resulted in the attacking players getting isolated. And then, of course, as soon as we changed it, you know, Ultimately, I mean, we have to talk about the bigger picture on this one in a minute. But Saka came on, and sub- and and we were playing four two three one, and suddenly Italy stopped being totally dominant and looked a bit scared. And Saka was, you know, yeah, he he didn't didn't have great moments at key moments, but the Italians were scared of him. Yeah, definitely uh, had to focus a bit on him, and they being a bit older and more tired. He's being young and you yeah. know ready to run at run at them and still have really good ideas. It's just a good plan. But then he changed Too late. Again yeah. and put and, and put Grealish on, and of course for some reason he thinks Grealish can't play at number ten. So Grealish mm-hmm. goes wide left, Sterling goes wide right, and then Saka finds himself playing like number ten, stroke number eight for England in the final of the European Championships having played that role once for Arsenal. Like, dude, yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, you've got a lot of players to choose from. You know, it's better to, t- mm-hmm. better, if you want to change it and you think you made a mistake, it's better to take the guy off again than to play him in a position where he doesn't, he, you know, he has some of the attributes, but he doesn't actually know how to play that position. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, it became very even and, and tight again. And uh, you know, probably an extra time England had slightly the better of it, particularly. And I mean, particularly after Chiesa went off with that injury. Uh, I, I really thought that he was faking and milking it because it, it, isn't, it didn't look dangerous. It didn't look like anything happened there. But yeah, he was definitely in pain. Really, I mean, he was also the best player probably that that match. Yeah, I mean. I've I've had a bit a bit of a, a man crush on Chiesa for about three four years now, uh, partly because like in Italy Fiorentina are my team because I spent time in Florence and I've seen Fiorentina play in their stand and there's a, like a, I I just love the spirit of the city and it's a bit of an underdog club despite you know and and 
And he's just like a wholehearted perpetual motion. He's the kind of player that if he comes up through your youth team, you love because mm-hmm. he's just like always trying really hard, always trying to make things happen, being direct. And yeah, he, sometimes he fucks things up and whatever, and he's not the most consistent in terms of end product. But the opposition always got to watch out for him, whatever's going on. And, and we, We've seen an example of that. I mean, a few of his shots very, very close. And- yeah, and, and, you know, he obviously scored key goals for Italy in this tournament as well. You know, yeah. they, considering they started the tournament with him on the bench, you know, and they got to the point where he was a key man for them. Um, just that energy and that dynamism. Um, so, so it was interesting. Obviously, as soon as he went off, then Italy looked a bit more toothless again. Uh, didn't have that directness to, to the play that he was bringing, um, and it really could have gone either way. Um, but neither team really did enough to win it. Really, mm. even though Italy mm. were dominant um, and penalty shootouts. Uh, I mean, hey, <laughs> that's just another thing. For- I really, I, I said that Southgate lost you that final and everything that you have said now about tactics and all that. And the the penalty shoot, shoot out the lineup that he chose, I'm not, it looked like they were all confused during the that pile up and all of that mm. before the, the shootout. It, it, I'm not sure still if he wrote down if he chose the, the takers or they no, you know, rose him. Yeah. He did. He's made it clear that he did, yeah. I just don't understand. I mean, uh, okay, I understand putting Rashford on for the penalties because he's a good penalty taker. He has taken a really brilliant penalty against Villarreal in the uh, Europa League final, and he has experience in that. Sancho, I'm not really sure. I don't follow Dortmund. I don't know if he was. Doesn't take a lot of penalties. No, and then Saka. I mean that, as you said already play him in position that he has played once. He's like 19 with one professional proper proper professional season behind him and then have him take the the deciding penalty in the biggest match of the generation of in 20 years. After Southgate went through similar stuff, I think, in 1996, right? He missed the, the yeah, yeah, he crucial missed. penalty. And he, he, I thought that he knew, you know, the, the pressure, the emotions that is behind that. And how could he have Saka take that? Even if, if Saka was like, oh, please, 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 coach, let me take this one. You have to have be, I think, I, that's my opinion. You have to, you know, put the foot down and say, no, I need someone with, you know, clear mind, clear head, uh, who can fo- be focused and, you know, take the, the the deciding penalty like Jorginho did for against against Spain for Italy. He he missed against England, but against Spain he was that that man. You know, cool as you like, uh, who takes the penalties all the time and knows how to score them. It's just I think that Southgate definitely bottled this one, and I really really hope that it doesn't influence Saka as much. But it's tough to say now. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I I do think that he has a personality that will cope with it quite well, even though obviously in the moment it was horrible to to watch him, you know, being you know weeping his eyes out and you know and being totally distraught. Um, I mean, in a way, it's like I'm glad that Southgate came out and made it straight away, pretty much, and made it clear that he had chosen the penalty takers. Because he, because at least that's, I, I disagree with what he did, but at least he's taking responsibility to try and protect the players a little bit. You know, this is my decision. 
and it was just based on training. But if that's the case, then that's a flawed process because mm. it doesn't matter how good you are at taking penalties in training, if you've not taken a lot of penalties, and I mean, even Sancho's taken some penalties. Obviously, I've never seen Maguire take penalties, but that was a pretty perfect penalty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really good, pretty good one. <laughs> but, you know, as, as you say, the thing is, is Saka has never taken a penalty in his professional career, except maybe in a, like, league. I don't know if he, he probably, I don't even know if he has in a League Cup shootout third round or anything, probably not. And, and no matter how good you are in practice, like... It's just not the same, not even close. On the biggest game your entire country has had in nearly 60 years what can possibly prepare you for that moment if, and you don't even have the confidence of knowing you've done it in a mundane situation you yeah know, you know you haven't you haven't even done it in front of a thousand people or two thousand people again in some lower league ground you don't even have that and it's not that it was a, a terrible penalty but it was a meh penalty mm. it was a penalty of someone hoping the goalkeeper goes the wrong way. He looks scared, scared in you know, going just... Yeah, just going I mean, he, he didn't look as scared as Belotti did before he took his. <laughs> Belotti always looked a bit like that. But uh, but it's also the fact of, like, they've done all the homework and they're talking about what they've done in training. Um, but it's a, different, it's a different situation because, you know, it's one thing scoring penalties against Pickford or or Ramsdale or whoever, but Donnarumma, as a penalty saver, his penalty saving record is ridiculous. Mm. Like, he's won every shootout he's ever been part of, at every, every level. Every single shootout he's won. He's got something like a 60-something percent penalty save ratio in his <laughs> career. Like, he's one of the best goalkeepers oh. saving penalties of all time. Mm-hmm. And, and also... Everybody knows he's the goal. You've seen it in the other shootouts. Yeah. You've seen it for, for Milan and you've seen it for Italy just earlier, in, like a week before. He's a goal. He doesn't dive until, like, he's so athletic. He, know, he knows he doesn't have to dive ahead of time. He just stands calmly, fills the goal, doesn't bounce on his line or any of that shit, just stands there and looks at you in the eye. And so trying to do that whole kind of, you know, the, the Rashid thing of stutter, 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 or the Sancho tried doing it. Like, how can the homework that they've been given tell them that's a good idea? Because everyone knows that Donnarumma isn't a goalkeeper that dives until, until the very last right. second. So, yeah. you know, you can do that shit. It, just, it ain't going to work against him. Against him, you've got to pick your corners. And that's it. You know, not do something that makes the skill of just finding a spot more difficult. And of course, then it left a situation where, as you say, someone with so little experience had the entire pressure on his shoulders against a goalkeeper he's just seen save a penalty from a more experienced penalty taker and has just seen win a shootout against Spain, you know. (laughs) Um, Immense pressure, really. But um, at least, apart from, you know, the uh, usual social media fuckwits, Hey, I'm going to set up an account with some, with, uh, with a fake name and just go around and racially abuse people because that's how I get my kicks. Apart from all those fuckwits, although nice to see some people have actually been caught for it, or not mm. caught, but like there's a there was a guy who's an estate agent used his own fucking Twitter account to do it. Well, I mean, 
both for being a racist arsehole, but also for being a cretin. You deserve to get some punishment for that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a bit like when Rashford was getting loads of abuse, the, you know, previously for Man United for after the uh, Europa League final. You know, he, as he tweeted, one of the people that was abusing him was doing on an open profile and is like a school teacher. It's like, what kind of arsehole are you? Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but aside from that, the overwhelming uh, reaction in the British media, British broadcasting has been a supportive one, not in, you know, more so than it has been in the past. Yeah, uh, definitely. I've seen that they have given Saka uh, the 10 rate. Yeah, Sky Sports, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and the fellow players, not only from Arsenal, especially from Arsenal, they massive support from that, but all over the football world is just really nice for, for Saka and for the other two that have missed. I mean, uh, it was also very noticeable that, um, the f you know, you see the footage that, you, I don't know if you've seen that footage of the long shot where you can barely see the players, but, you know, Saka has the penalty saved and all the Italians, Rah! And the first England player to get to him is Calvin Phillips. Is basically the second it saved, he started. He's had a couple of seconds, and then he started jogging or running towards him up the pitch. Mm. And you know that's the kind of shit that people remember. Yeah, because he's gone out of his way. His first reaction. Others did the same, but he was the first person to go and console him. Uh, which you know is is it says something about the the, the character. You know. I mean, I felt a bit sorry for Phillips in a way in the final because, like, if England had one more midfielder who was competent, there's no way he would have been playing all that time because he was dead on his feet after 70 minutes. But they didn't have anyone who could play that role unless they tried to put Bellingham on, put, like, some someone who's just turned 18 to play, be the holding role in England's midfield in a championship final, having never played that role before in his life. Doing that to two people at once would have been too much. Um, and but so, he has yeah. had a really a good tournament in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think perhaps people were, uh, after that very good performance against Croatia, I think perhaps people were inflating how well he played in some of the other games. You know, he was tidy and intelligent, but uh, not that special, um, you know. And I think ultimately that's why England didn't win the tournament, is central midfield. It's uh, And as Arsenal fans, we can all relate to that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you know everything goes back to arsenal <laughs> well this is an arsenal podcast in case you had <laughs> it has to <laughs> so like before we sort of fully swing things back to arsenal i mean are there any other impressions you took from the tournament or you know whether about the final or earlier on in the tournament or things that stood out for you um well, I'm glad that this was an experiment and it probably won't happen again with the different countries, different cities and all of that. I don't think it really worked. I mean, if if there wasn't the, the pandemic and all that, it would have probably been fun, you know, to visit all the very different places and all of that. But I just think that it's not really good for, for the players, all the traveling that they have to do and, you know, change the scenery and all of that. It's just after the really long and tough season, I've seen comments, uh, the people on, on Croatian TV after the match were just saying those who have experienced, you know, the 
playing and coaching as well said that the, the travel bit is often the the key part and the toughest mm. part of uh, this kind of uh, arrangements and all of that and definitely i think that it was a good experiment but i'm glad that they they said that it won't happen again that they won't try it again next one is in germany i think and i'm really looking forward to that one already well i mean it's the thing is it's it's one thing sharing the games out in different locations if you're doing it in a way that makes kind of uh, sense from the practicality perspective you know if you know if you say you're doing it in holland and belgium you know two yeah. neighbors great transport exactly. infrastructure you know like we had the, the euros in austria and uh, slovakia was it in austria and switzerland but 2008 i think i can't even remember now <laughs> um, poland and ukraine was one right but um you know, the fact that you could be playing at Wembley and then in Copenhagen, then Rome and then Baku. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's bad for the players. It's bad for the fans. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know who, who that particular set of arrangements is good for actually, because it doesn't even strike me as being massively lucrative either um, for the people who are likely to benefit most normally. Um, even in, in the normal times, if you yeah, exactly. put pandemic aside. You know, it's one thing, oh, maybe, okay, maybe you can have it on the, on the British Isles if you want to have, you know, England, Scotland, Wales. Maybe you want to have, you know... Uh, Spain, Portugal, for example. Yeah, yeah, or as you said, Austria is a very central country, so you could... You know, I think that uh, we applied once with, uh, with Hungary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's, you know, also close and... You could have yeah. Denmark and you could have... You know, mm way probably less so because of the infrastructure but um you know there are there are lots of ways of doing it which it can make work make work and even if you split it amongst three or four countries but as long as they're kind of all neighbors and they're yeah. all that, and, and it's around the uh, links between them and make you know if you did it say say uh south you know um southern france and spain and italy you know you could do something like that they're not you know there's relatively easy to get between those three three countries via a variety of different transport networks but like yeah scotland hamden wembley copenhagen baku rome like what the you know (laughs) munich okay great what are you supposed to do how much are you supposed to spend on travel just to see a few games you know um Anything else stand out for you from or impressions from the tournament for you? Well, next thing that comes to mind is the number of own goals. That was just really, really odd stats. You know, to, yeah, yeah. it will be a pop pop quiz question probably <laughs> one day. This is really something extraordinary. You know, to see as many more own goals than in all the Euros. Yeah. Before this one it's just not sure why and you know probably no logical explanation behind it it just happened but i'm always surprised there aren't more in tournaments but this yeah this was (laughs) but there were a lot of the own goals like there was a lot of the own goals were like own goals where the defender where the striker's gonna score anyway if the defender doesn't get there there was quite a lot of those where it's like two people yeah and like three or four goalkeepers yeah yeah the personal favourite being, of course, Unai Simon from Spain with his classic <laughs> bit of uh, control there. Um, and actually, there's a there's a there's a parallel there because obviously, when Spain had their shootout and Luis Enrique took Pedri off, 
So he had to make sure he couldn't take a penalty, even though he was their best player or one of their best players. So there is, you know, it's, it's different ways of doing it. And we just, as you say, have to hope that our, our boy is well protected and um, looked after. And I get the impression that he's so popular that people will try and look after him in that way, except mm-hmm. for the few arseholes online. In fact, just on the arseholes online, I just want to draw listeners' attention to the fact that there is actually uh, a petition going around on, uh, I think it's change.org. It's, it was uh, it was publicised by Unilad. I've put it out there on Twitter. And it's basically... Um, ban racists for life from all football matches in England. So basically anyone who's from anyone in England who's been caught giving racial abuse online and can be identified who they are, um, they should be uh, banned for life for attending football matches. And so, and so far, uh, 468,000 people have signed it in the space of half a day. So that's, that's not insignificant. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to draw attention to that. You know, there is something <laughs> that the counter reaction is wrong. Yeah, uh, and and I, I think once again, if 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 it gets enough attention, it might become a. Uh, they might be able to get an official parliamentary part uh, thing to get it debated in parliament or something. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, what's what stood out for you? Sorry, what was that? What stood out for you? What stood out for me? Oh yes, I have a opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> as everyone knows, that refereeing is one of my bugbears. <laughs> uh, apart from two or three individual games, I thought the refereeing at standard in action this tournament was very high. Yeah, I thought the way that VI, VAI was used was not great, uh, but the intention with which it was used is better. And like they were not wanting to get caught down with every little tiny minute thing, but I think they went too far the other way. And there were definitely things that they could have and should have revisited. But it's better to err on the side of, you know, if you're not going to, if it, it, rather than this split thing of not knowing quite who's in control, you know, if you let the referee be in control and you pull them up on big fuck-ups, then that's better than the mess that we've seen of, like, not even knowing who's the one making the call quite a lot of the time um, recently. Um, <laughs> also the amusement that... Uh, England's best ref, who I actually think is a decent ref, managed to have a really bad game in a tournament, uh, international tournament, in which the rest of, you know, we've got our professional referees, and yet the guy who gets the final is a bloke who actually, is, his day job is running a, uh, running a supermarket company, and, and, is, and is already a, uh, a, a multimillionaire, and he just mm-hmm. does the ring as a thing. And the oldest one, I think he was. Beyond Kuipers, yeah, it might be, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, he didn't get everything right, but he was pretty consistent in the way he refereed the game, I thought. Um, yeah, decent. Uh, I, I suppose another thing that stood out for me is, yes, I know he's recovered from injury, but why is it Jordan Henderson always looks so good for Liverpool but always looks so shit for England, no matter what? <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I mean, literally, like, last night he came on and it was like, can you pass the ball to any teammates? <laughs> Kicking it nowhere near your turn teammates. I mean, no, I know you're pumped up and you're, you know, putting up energy into it, but he, he sort of, yeah, his passing was terrible and he played with, with rather less intelligence within the game than you'd expect from a player in his position. Yeah, we are wondering the same with Andre Kramaric, one of the top scorers in Bundesliga and couldn't do anything. Often, Kramaric, for I find easy to identify because Kramaric 
Kramaric is a, is a guy who's always best when there's another striker near him. And Croatia put him too often in a position where he was having to be the main focal point. And that's, he's never been very good at that. And that's what Leicester City tried to do with him briefly. And it mm. was a waste of time. Uh, that's why I'm hoping for the managerial change, but it doesn't seem to be happening. Well, well I, I mean, I do think that he, that you know, Ross got some things right. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult one because, you know, as you say, you've lost some key personalities and players who've played at a very high level in high pressure situations. Modric is still great, but just can't run for 90 minutes anymore. Uh, like for you know, he, at times he looks like like against England. There was just little periods in the game. He's like, oh, you're better than everyone else. <laughs> yeah, like throws on. <laughs> but, but we might not see you for another five minutes. Um, I mean, when did, did you look at the how far have England come and how far we have come since that semi final three years ago? It's just you know, we didn't we lose of we lose we lost a few players, but nothing else changed. We still kept playing the same and uh, relying on individuals uh, to you know do something, do some magic and all that. It doesn't wasn't really fixed well. England started you know, looking a bit better. They were okay in Russia, but still a lot better now. They, I mean, defeated us a few times <laughs> since since then. <laughs> so. I mean, I, I, well, I think I think part of that is, you know, obviously Croatia is always going to be limited by its just pool. You know, Croatia yeah. just doesn't have as many top level footballers because it's a small country with a small population, and you know, we hate to be reminded country. of that. Yeah, but it's sometimes it's it's not an excuse, but it's just you know. This is the fact. Life is. Like yeah. The amount of professional players in Croatia is a lot less than the amount of professional players in a lot of other European countries, you know, and therefore you just have a smaller pool of people to choose from. And part of Croatia's problem has been a slight lack of depth in certain positions. Um, uh, but also for England, they're seeing the benefit of the, all the investment in the academy system. You know, the, the base level of England players coming up is, well, well they may have lost some other qualities, but the te base technical ability is higher you yeah. know, and, and, and therefore you're getting more players who have both athletic and technical ability as opposed to one or the other, which you saw for quite a long time. Uh, you know, obviously your first 11 players isn't necessarily better because a country of our size always has a certain amount, of, but it just gives us more strength and depth. So it means like if someone's off form or they're injured, you actually have someone good to come in instead. Whereas before, we've, you know, England have had a really good first eleven that maybe hasn't been tactically set up quite well, but like a couple of players get injured and the whole thing falls over. And now the, the, the talent pool is wider, um, particularly with the younger players, as you alluded to. So, you know, there are still some gaps in the kind of players that we're producing, but there is, you know, as you say, there is reasons for optimism. And I think actually some of Croatia's youngest players will be big play contributors going forward but they're you know they're a bit between you know the old guard and just past yeah yeah, yeah. i'm i'm already preparing preparing myself for missing the out the, on the qatar 2022 because i'm not sure that things will change and before that and in time for that and it's just sometimes it's it's better you know we've seen italy we've seen the the netherlands and all of that obviously they are much stronger nations football wise but still you know it might be a I don't see it as a really bad thing. Well, I think that England will still be great there and will play a really big role, be one of the favorites for that one. Yeah, well, I mean, in, I mean, England have significantly underachieved in the last 
50 years on the international stage compared to the resources that they have at their disposal. So, uh, you know, it's clear that the setup is slightly more intelligent and has learned from some of our continental uh, <laughs> uh, rivals. Uh, another quick impression is just how, isn't it amazing how France can have these, these most amazing pool of players, but just like sustaining a, a level of performance consistently is just something the French national team really finds difficult to do and uh yeah so like you got this team that they looked invincible and then they got a left back injured and then nothing worked <laughs> it's like but how <laughs> yeah they are my favorites for the tournament because they really looked like they can beat everyone they looked really well and then Benzema came on as well just started looking fantastic in the, the group stages and all of that and then just as you said one thing they goes got wrong and- up and they took it to decide to chill <laughs> that's, that's what happens when you decide to chill um other impression is like just as i said before italy were the best team in the tournament i thought well the way that mancini coached the italian midfield was amazing like the, the, the mm-hmm. fluidity they had it was like it was like something out of what you expect to see from dutch football um but still with that steel and winning mentality that italian teams have um and you know and sometimes shithousing when well, and definitely shithousing of course but that's been part <laughs> of the Italian tradition forever in terms of sport yeah 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 and uh and and just that uh you know i after the first game they played i said okay they, i picked them as like my my tip just because i thought there was something about the way that the team was functioning i thought if they can sustain that they're going to be really hard to beat um <laughs> Also, just love the fact, although it ended, although ultimately it resulted in Sack having to take the fifth penalty, I did enjoy seeing that rat-faced shitbag Jorginho have a penalty saved. He's <laughs> <laughs> such a snide little fucker. <laughs> yeah, could have easily been sent off. Yes, yes. What do we think? I mean, it was given, I think, in, in Sweden match for a Swedish player. Yeah. Uh, I think the tournament. Swedish one was- Slightly worse because there's more force behind it, but yeah, yeah. But still, you know, it does. It's not like he meant it. He wanted to hurt the player. Yeah. It was accidental, but still, it's, it's it's a really thin line. Yeah, where can you go? I, mean, I actually think Jorginho's attempt of a tackle was worse than the Swedish players, but the Swedish players was more forceful and less controlled and resulted in injury. Three things which are you know tick tick tick, whereas Jorginho's didn't quite match that he wasn't as forceful and the player wasn't significantly injured um and also it was a final <laughs> <laughs> people don't like to send people off in finals yeah much bigger mistake in the semi-final <laughs> yes touche <laughs> yeah although to be fair that was a game in which the team that benefited did deserve to win that game um <laughs> Yeah, well, um, obviously, there's that's a bit of our, our our thoughts on the Euros. I'm sure there'll be more Euros-related coverage coming up soon enough uh, on Daily Canon or on the uh, on whether it be on here or on the uh, on the website. Um, but before we move on to briefly talking about what's been going on in Arsenal world, uh, a signing or two, and other things on the line, we do have to talk to you about something very important, which is, you know, it's summer. It's the height of summer. Although today's been pissing it down in London, it is still pretty warm. I'm toasty warm in here. And if you're toasty warm, you don't want to be getting unnecessarily sweaty. And one way to avoid getting unnecessarily sweaty is to keep yourself nice and tidy. So as the question goes, how is your beach bod treating you guys? My beach bod is more of a beach ball. 
but we're on, you know, we're somewhere between two. Uh, but Manscaped TM is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Don't know quite what they mean by the wild, but don't let that be that guy at the beach with a bear rug on your chest. If you grew some man-quarantine man tits, then at least you can do is make sure they're hairless. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped TM with this exclusive offer for you. That's right, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code DCPOD20. That's DCPOD20 at manscaped.com. Now, uh, it's one of those funny things when you sort of get into the, the grooming game. Uh, when you're using, particularly using electronic products, because you have to make sure that you've got the settings right or interesting things can happen. Uh, Obviously, uh, not being someone who has a beard, Anita, this is an issue that you've never faced, but there's nothing (laughs) like... My husband has. (laughs) Well, this is true. And I'm sure he's had this, where you're trying to achieve something and then you realise that the setting that you use on one part isn't quite the same setting as the other part, or you're not quite fully awake, or perhaps you're doing it early in the morning, and then you end up with a very lopsided face in terms of of where your hair's going. And then it's a repair job that goes all over the shop. And let's face it, that can end up with a disaster or some hurriedly clean-shaven unexpectedness. Uh, Or indeed, uh, yes, well, we won't talk about some of the other possibilities because when you apply them to other parts of the body, that's too unpleasant to think about. But with Manscaped, uh, you can be helped to level up your full-body grooming game because not just the face, but also the rest of the kit can be uber smooth and nice and tidy. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0, which comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, which is waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. It is the best body trimmer on the market for those who need a chest shave, and not just a chest shave. And the third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade reduced grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe TM technology, pioneered, of course, by Manscaped. Uh, You can adjust settings to get any length you like, which uh, is key. And, uh, of course, the fact it's got the light on it means you can actually see what you're doing and avoid those early morning, oh, my God, I've cocked this up, now I've got to work out how on earth to not look like an alien efforts. Um, And so you can even trim an arrow pointing to the promised land if you're that way inclined. Uh, I'm not sure that's my taste, but hey, I'm not here to criticise. And of course, you can make sure you use the Crop Cleanser Body Wash to keep your hair and skin feeling healthy and fresh. And indeed, healthy and fresh is how your skin feels after the Crop Cleanser is applied. And there's also the Manscaped Crop Preserver in the perfect package, which is a, uh, well, there's no nice way to say this particularly. It's a ball deodorant. It's an anti-chafing ball deodorant. And moisturiser, of course, because, uh, well, as well as avoiding chafing, it's probably a bit nicer to not be too dry down there, if you know what I mean. There's also the Crop Reviver Ball Toner, a testy toner that's designed to give you a pep in your step. Uh, I haven't used it enough to quite work out what the effects are supposed to be, but it feels nice. And let's face it, anything that makes that area feels nice is not to be sniffed at. Uh, unless, again, that's a fetish of yours. Anyway, subscribe to The Perfect Package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower 3.0 trimmer delivered to your door every three months. And for a limited time only, subscribe to get two free gifts. That's the shared travel bag, and that's $39 value added, apparently, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing manscaped boxes, which I can say from personal experience are really comfy. Yeah, and that's not something that us guys really think about, you know, more think about the outer layer, but actually having a comfy underlayer is really quite nice. 
So get 20% off and free shipping with the code DCPOD20. That's DCPOD20 at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job, especially when you're doing it in certain regions. <clears throat> so get 20% off and free shipping with the code DCPOD20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code DCPOD20. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. Hmm, not sure that really works, but we thought we'd give it a go. Anyway, one thing that also needs a bit of trimming is uh, the Arsenal squad, because we're having we're trying to get ins, but we still have a few too many we need to get outs before we can get some. Yeah, out. it's gets it's got really quiet on that that uh, that field. I mean, there have been some rumors uh, over the last few days about Bellerin again. But I have seen nothing on Lacazette, for example. There's still some talks about Chaka, but it doesn't look like Roma is giving up <laughs> or listening to our terms. Uh, the rest, all quiet on Saliba. The joys of negotiating with Italian teams. We want, <laughs> we, we want your player. We really think he's great. We want to build our team around him. Um, but the thing is, Five we quid. don't want to pay for him. So how are we going to make this work? How are we going to make this work? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I know obviously there is the COVID impact on the market, which is particularly affecting teams outside of the UK who don't have the benefits of of the English league's great TV deals in many cases. But uh, the Italian teams' negotiating tactics do tend to take the mick, which is why obviously sometimes we've beaten Napoli to players when Napoli have tried to no, be cheapskates. Uh, <laughs> they they, they gazumped us on Higuain and spent the rest of the time since then trying to gazump under us, which doesn't quite work. Yeah, it's definitely nothing nothing new on that front, but it's still you know a bit frustrating to see Inter selling players for millions and millions and millions and then going, yeah, perhaps if we could loan him and then buy him for five quid later on, it's just... Ugh. Yeah, but only if we want to buy him. We're not, we're not doing an obligation... To buy we want yeah. an, option, an option to buy. We want to make sure that we get him free for a year and then if we really like him, we can have him for cheap. Yeah? Yeah, yeah you, you pay the paycheck and everything, then yeah. And uh <sighs> yeah. And I think I'm glad that we are not backing off on, on Chaka. Well, because yeah, because essentially I said a few times he he could he is worth more than they are offering definitely. Yeah, and, and circumstances and some of the individuals have meant that we've had to be the market's bitch a bit in the last <laughs> few years. You know, when, when you've got Mustafi on a hundred grand a week and Kalasnach on a hundred grand a week and Meza Erzl on all the money, on all the money, but very little of the training and traveling, um, then you end up basically having to take a hit. But, you know, Roma have already screwed us up and they already got Mkhitaryan on a free. Having had him on a loan for a season without barely having to pay his wages, so you know they've done. Yeah. Very well. They're thinking, well, this is how you deal business with this club, and we, <laughs> and we, and we at some point we have to stop looking like assholes uh, without wishing to be vulgar about it. But you know, bluntly, that's the situation. If you let people take the mick out of you, uh, you know, it's, this is like the situation. I mean, I suppose it's a different situation with Genduzi because he's managed to tank his value by basically falling out with yet another coach at yet another club and not being that great for her to bell in. Uh, yeah, maybe it's not us. <laughs> but um, but still, the fee seems very disappointing. Cause, you know, it's the loan with the, the obligation, I think, to buy for 10 million or something like that, which 
sitting for the front under twenty one captain seems a little a little poor. But uh, then you look at the money in the French league, and if you ain't PSG, you ain't got no dosh. You know, Lille have had to sell one of their one of their best midfielders of the season for to Leicester for twenty million. Um, yeah, and uh, it's just 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 the way that the league is. You know, the, this wide that Hassan are, You know the Last summer, it's like Arsenal have got to cough up sixty million. Now it's like, well, they might get him if they bid twenty five. You know that tells you. I mean, it tells you also that he hasn't had as good a season. But it also tells you a lot about the market and, and, and where things are at the moment. And unfortunately, we don't have players that, that we don't have many players that other teams in our league want to buy. And therefore, you're you know if you're the richest, you it's the same thing that to a degree Real Madrid have found. You know, people don't want to buy your players for the players the prices you'd have to pay to get them. <laughs> yeah, and it's a tricky situation for us because, as you said, we have interest from from Europe uh, for our players who won't pay as much. While we need yeah. homegrown English players who basically the passport alone costs costs as much as some European clubs are offering us for two or three players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, so we're yeah we're sort of stuck in this situation where. We, again, we've got the squad numbers, haven't we? We've got to, you know, we need to get some bodies out the door if, to, if we can bring many bodies in. Unless, you know, the good thing is, is the new signings, Luna Tavares, and um, what appears to be just rating to be Sambi Lakonga. You know, they're both at the younger age range. Uh, Luna Tavares will count as an under twenty-one player for this coming season. Uh, Lakonga will turn twenty-two, so won't. But you know. That's still, still, we're getting a backup for a, for a position without having to impact on our numbers, which gives us a bit more flexibility. Um, yeah, we have seen how it it worked out when Tierney was injured during the last season, so it's really good to have a backup left back. I mean, uh, do you know much about Tavares? I've I've read a few articles on the Canon and went through Steven's uh, video. He posted the video on on the on YouTube, and definitely something to look at. And when he mo- mostly talked about how Munio Tavares will, you know, blend in the Arsenal team and how we can line up, he added our uh, at some point in the team, which was a bit <laughs> optimistic for me. <laughs> it, 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 has Stephen become an ITK? <laughs> <laughs> but still, I mean, it looks like a well-planned signing, at least at the moment. Yeah, because uh, obviously the way it was being presented, it seemed like a sort of opportunistic, reactionary sort of approach. Doesn't it? Benfica is one of our players, and we were talking to them. But actually, it's a player that we've been tracking for a bit longer. Obviously, recognizing the fact that he stuck behind a very good fullback uh, in Grimaldi, uh, ex Barcelona product, who's a Benfica, you know, um, who's yeah, very consistent, uh, good deliverer of the ball, and not very physical, but is a really solid player. Um, and just you know, a bit like this. So it's, he's not giving up existing first team football to come and be a, a cover player at Arsenal, but also he's a player whose potential hasn't been exploited as much as it potentially could be. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Stephen video is great, gives us a good outline, and then, um, and there's a lot of stats floating out there about you know the graph breakdowns of you know of their abilities and whatever. And Tavares is very much an attacking fullback or wing back. Um, who defensively is a bit terrifying, <laughs> despite you know having the size and the strength and the, and the speed. Um, but going forward, is 
inconsistent but dynamic, uh, skillful, excellent distribution at times. You know, he, I mean, I've seen enough footage from Benfica to see him put in some like really top draw crosses from unpromising positions. And I think his Benfica debut. He as a left-footed left back, he played at right back and got a goal and two assists, and the goal was an absolute worldie. So um, obviously that's not the sort of thing that can be expected from a player, but you know, knowing that someone has that within their locker, as the phrase goes, mm-hmm. is uh, always a good thing. And I suppose just strategically, it makes sense. You know, as you said, we needed someone. Tini's absence made that frighteningly clear, um, and someone who could at least allow us to play in a similar way. Um, yeah. and he's on the 21 and therefore is likely to retain his value uh, speaks good English already as evidenced by his video, his introduction video on the dot com uh, also plays string instruments in his spare time uh, and as I'm sure a lot of people will have seen already on the internet slightly too friendly with his dogs <laughs> yeah, I've seen the, the reactions and everything it's not something that we haven't seen before <laughs> Uh, well, you know, maybe it can just sort of repurpose the Alexis banner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> good boys. I mean, oh, when I think of that, what were we thinking? Um, and then obviously, Sambi Lakonga looks like it's pretty much a done deal. Uh, everyone's suggesting that he's basically just going to go through quarantine and then he too will be unveiled. Um, and elect captain. As uh, uh, very uh, has been obviously made captain at the age of twenty, uh, which is no mean feat. Uh, looks more of a kind of an, uh, a backup to party in terms of stylistically, uh, but that's still good because you sure as shit don't have anyone else who can do that uh, in, in a team. Uh, can also play right back. Um, very athletic, strong, defensively pretty sound, covers ground well with the ball. Not not a great long passer, but very good short passer. Uh, just hasn't been tested at a high enough level to really know for him to be a sure bet. But certainly, you know, he was on the uh, Belgium team's long list. Uh, didn't make the tournament squad, but was basically the last guy cut pretty much. Uh, and at 21, you know, without having ever played outside of Belgium, that's, that's pretty impressive. And I'm for one very excited to see what he might bring and of course the ben white thing god i mean how many weeks do you talk about it i mean at least now the tournament's over we might get some clarity soon uh rumors that yeah. brighton are holding out for 70 million or some bullshit like that um you know i don't really like the the prices above 50 million and it gives me anxiety and i just don't think that anyone is worth that much but i mean as you said, it's the market, it's everything. We need the homegrown players. He's, it's not like he's that bad, but I'm not too, too thrilled. But, you know, everyone seems to be okay with it. And, you know. And then, so obviously, you know, there are others, lots of other stories that have been linked with, you know, Madison. Locatelli, uh, Madison, uh, but they're all mm-hmm. seem at this stage a bit more like paper noise than anything you can re- you know there's clearly interests but is there interest interest you know it's a bit like the Ruben Neves thing you know apparently we were about to sign him imminently about five weeks ago uh, and then it turns out we haven't actually bid for him yet um, <laughs> the so, goalkeeper situation yeah I mean obviously the Inanna seems to maybe it seems like he might be going to Leon now uh, Leno seems to be but then that might not be the case. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Leno seems to be happy to stick around. Uh, Runison looks like he, well, 
apparently he was about to go elsewhere, but then he hasn't. And uh, um, Okonkwo has been um, given his uh, professional contract and promoted to the first yeah. team squad. Very, very promising, very tall, young, uh, homegrown goalkeeper who missed a lot of last season with injury and then came back and looked rusty, but was exceptional at the levels prior to that under 18 level. So we have to just see what what happens there with his development, but it's nice to know at least there's someone in the pipeline who with the stature and the potential to, to become a relevant factor in that position going forward, because it's not something we've had a lot in recent years. And it sounds like Kiddo Taylor-Hard might sign a new contract, which would be good to keep up um, uh, Arteta's record of getting the young kids on side, even though even though uh, everyone seems to be assuming they're going to leave, as, as was the case with Balogun. And, and in fact, even let's not, let's not forget there was all the rumours about Saka before he re-signed. Uh, and and then all the bullshit at the moment about Smith Rowe and Aston Villa, which is like oh, agents. What are they good for? Getting their clients' money—that's what they're good for. <laughs> so, just a couple of things I wanted to touch on briefly before we wrap this up, which is uh, pre-season starts. Yes, like, it starts tomorrow. This week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First game again, where Hibernian, uh, <laughs> which is uh, it's the late afternoon uh, tomorrow. Um, it's on, it will be on the dot com. If you're an Arsenal member, uh, you can you can sign up. You might have missed the deadline to sign up for free. I can't remember uh, when the deadline was, but there's news all about it on the went out on the seventh of July on the Daily Canon website, which will tell you about not just the fixtures coming up, but how to watch them. But we've got yeah, we've got Hibs, and then we've got Rangers later in the week, and then there's uh, after that there's Inter Milan and Everton or Millonarios. Uh, in, in uh, some preseason Florida, I think exactly in the Florida Cup. Uh, you can actually uh, go to it if you're living anywhere near Florida. Um, good luck to if you are. It's probably bloody hot there at the moment. Um, but the other thing I wanted to touch on is the slightly amusing, terrifying news that uh, we're following in Spurs' footsteps. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I forgot about that for a day or so. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just you know, the the documentary, the uh, all or nothing. What's yeah. the name? And the the tweet from from Jarson saying, "Oh, we listen to you. It's coming." Like, who who asked for that? Who wanted that? Everyone I've seen, I've seen all the all the tweets, you know, going mad about that. It 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 might have turned out well, but how? What be, what are the chances? I mean, it's Arsenal. <laughs> well, it will be a for us. It will obviously be a a, a guaranteed watch though, because you know peeking behind the curtain at some of the things that will be going on will be fascinating, particularly with the new regime. And you know, I don't have Amazon Prime, so I'm not sure. <laughs> well, well, I do. Uh, <laughs> Not because I'm particularly in love with the company, but just because actually, as uh, as, as maybe discovered by others, uh, being able to get things very very quickly when you've got a baby is quite handy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not available here in Croatia. Well, that's Amazon the thing. Prime is for videos <laughs> only, and then it, it, there's nothing. We wanted to watch the Sir Alex Ferguson movie the other day, and. It was uh, it, we couldn't watch it because we couldn't even activate the trial that will allow us to watch that, even though we had uh, a Prime account just for some videos. Uh, we couldn't activate the trial to watch the Sir Alex Ferguson movie because we didn't have a billing address in the United States. 
I have no idea what why was happening. What was happening? It was like, yeah, we're done with this. We don't want to. I mean, pay. I admit, I've, I've I've watched very little on Amazon today because I basically I've got it for work and baby reasons, you know. So, and with a baby, you don't get to watch a lot of telly. <laughs> you. Uh, although, thankfully, he did seem to, does seem to not mind having the football on. So as long as you as long as you don't mind missing your moment, I can get to watch quite a lot of the game still. So. So yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't watch the Spurs one. I did watch the Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix, mm. and I did like it. But it's it's you know a reminder that it's not scripted. It's not like oh there will be a happy ending at the end. They're just you know going deeper and deeper. <laughs> of course, you won't get to see the end of the program until after the season's ended. So you already know what's happened. So it's not like there's an unpleasant <laughs> surprise. But yeah. Uh... I mean, I didn't watch the Spurs one, and I, of course, I was never going to watch the Spurs one. I saw a couple of clips of it, and it just made Mourinho playing to the cameras looking like a wanker. Uh, <laughs> but, um, shock horror. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it is an interesting. It's a risk the club have taken because it could make them look very bad. Because of course, it's reality TV, so they're going to try and find some bad guys. You know, there are going to be some people they want to make look like idiots. That's so just you know, you, you don't control the editing. But at the same time, it does humanise things in a way. It will only even further broaden the interest in the club in what it was already a massive brand. And if the right people come out of it looking well, then that could be significant. So it's kind of, you know... I'm already scared of the memes and everything. (laughs) Oh, man. I really hope that it works. Just have to hope that there aren't too many wankers in the club who make good meme material. <laughs> <laughs> Your confidence is uh, is heartwarming. <laughs> I've changed a lot. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. What ha- what happened to the eternally optimist that I knew for so long? You'd be, <laughs> You'll be swapping places with Stephen soon. <laughs> I will still still buy the kits. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the other thing. What do you think of these the, the leaked leaked new home kits? Yeah, should be official by the end of the week, I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't mind it. I, it is it does look really similar to Ajax. I wouldn't mind if we looked a bit like <laughs> some Ajax teams <laughs> recently and in, in, in history. I don't. I think it looks pretty decent. Okay, I like the yellow one as well. The the third one, I think that uh, looks the most the best to me. I think the deleted one. I don't yeah, know I mean, when that will be announced. I mean, I presume it's for real because if it's leaked this close to uh, this close to it, then you'd expect them to know something. But yeah, the away kit's nice. Uh, I mean, it's it's not exciting, but then it doesn't need to be exciting. You know, it's, it's, it's the, it's pretty much the right colors. Although I'd prefer it if, uh, you know, if again, it was the trad blue shorts, but you know, at least we're in the right territory. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. The third one is the one with the, those, uh, uh, the texture looking for, I think it was 95, 96 season, the blue one, mm-hmm. a bit re- retro or something like that. Yeah. I think that that one was, is my favorite. Yeah. Certainly the, 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 the home kit looks a bit, a, a bit too Ajax for me. Um, I mean, not that I dislike Ajax's kit. I've always liked Ajax's kit, but it's, uh, 
Uh, yeah, it just and, and 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 the and the stripes in the wrong place. And yeah, I mean, it's still very identifiably Arsenal. So it's not it's not some full kind of not Nike nightmare, but um, but it's it's I suppose it's that thing, you know, for their commercial purposes mean they have to put a new kit out every year. And some of them are not going to like as much as the others. Yeah, and it will sell out definitely. I'm not sure. I you know. I'm still. I was disappointed. I didn't manage to get hold of the limited edition trainers though. They 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 had, but they sold out within like a day. But uh, oh, the yellow ones. Right? Yeah, they were quite nice. I, I, <laughs> I like them anyway. Too expensive for me. I well, oh yeah, they were far too expensive. <laughs> like this is the first one time they've done something like this. I've liked in quite a long time. Uh, but anyway. So yeah, um, obviously, obviously, listeners. The next time we speak to you, it will be after some preseason games, and probably after you know maybe the the confirmation of Lokonga, and probably some other signings and departures will be rather further along. So we'll go back to being much more of a, an Arsenal Arsenal podcast. We've also got a couple of special guests lined up soon for uh, to talk to us in in depth about not just Arsenal but other uh, but broader football topics that uh, can. Basically, educate us a bit, which makes a change from us lot just giving you our opinions uh, and some little bits of research over there. But so, um, we'll obviously, keep your eyes peeled for those. Uh, certainly, in the next two or three weeks, there's going to be some some special guests on doing special content, and uh, I'm looking forward, really looking forward to doing those. Uh, one of them I can I can reveal will be uh, someone who's written a book about and done a lot of research into the UK academy system, and I think given Arsenal's project. Is going to be very heavily influenced by what is an academy that is seems to be flourishing. Um, I think that's going to be really revealing and, and, and definitely pertinent for us. So, uh, but uh, you'll hear more about it in due course. Uh, any last thoughts before we knock this one on the head, Anita, for this week? I'm just excited to see uh, players going on on preseason day gathering in. Uh, some social media posts uh, about going uh, to Scotland and all of that. It's really, it kind of, you know, seems like, oh, already preseason seems quick. It's just a reminder that I still haven't uh, created the fixtures list <laughs> for the new season, <laughs> but still really excited to have the club all together again and, you know, playing, playing uh, actual matches. That's not Euros. And also, preseason is great for all those. Oh shit! Yeah, I forgot. Class and actually still at Arsenal moments. <laughs> yeah, I often forgot about him. He's on a on a big big wage. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the team that wanted him so much, they wanted to make him their captain, then got relegated, so mm-hmm. they couldn't they yeah. couldn't buy him. So uh, be interesting. There's there's still talk of him maybe going to Italy or. Or Greece or something like that. So yeah, somewhere nice and warm. So hopefully, for his sake and our sake, that will come to fruition. But we shall see. Uh, sadly, the talk of Willian uh, going to Miami seems to have dried up with lots of accusations and wanting too much money. Yeah, funny that that a player who with a with a restaurant and uh, and friends and family in London on a shitload of money might not fancy moving. I mean, yeah, he's got links with Florida and then spends a fair amount of time there, but. Uh, he, I'm sure that door might still be open for him in a year's time. So he's thinking, you know, squeeze it out when you can. Maybe, just maybe that end of season free kick was a harbinger of better things to come. <laughs> <laughs> and on that ever so positive and not very credible note, uh, it's time to wrap up for this week. So thank you listeners. If you got this far, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Anita, as always. It was nice to recap the Euros and discuss 
a bit about the upcoming actual matches. Yeah, proper football's <laughs> back. I mean, I have to say, uh, I probably feel like I'm probably right heathen, but I mean, for you, obviously, it was different. But for me, you know, England, England, the Euro finals, well, as my stepdad put it, you know, are you going to be more nervous in, before England play Italy in the final of the European Championships at Wembley than you would be uh, watching uh, Arsenal play away in the league at Burnley for a lunchtime kickoff in winter? <laughs> And we all agreed that we were more nervous about away at Burnley. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the stakes are high, kids, and it's coming back. Real football's coming home, and uh, none of this international <laughs> bollocks. <laughs> I can say that the tournament's over. Okay, well, have a wonderful week, everyone. And do remember, of course, that if you are worried about your personal hygiene and grooming requirements and want the best in the business, uh, then, of course, uh, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code DCPOD20, that's DCPOD20, at manscaped.com. Uh, and, yeah, keep yourself trim uh, with some money off on us, as it were. Anyway, have a lovely week, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us, and uh, we'll speak to you next week. Uh, look forward to it. Cheerio. Bye-bye.